0: of you that have your Bible, if you open up to uh, John chapter 8, that's where we'll be tonight, John chapter 8, and kind of what was on my heart for tonight was just to read through verses 1 through 12, and then I'm going to share a little bit about the work that Jesus has done in my own life, and then we'll come back to the story and we'll we'll close the night there, but uh, yeah, if you guys join me, I'll just read through that real quick. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when he had set, they had set her in his midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that we should stone such a woman, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something to, of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So then when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted of their own conscience by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman was standing in his midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And in verse 12, the beginning of the very next passage here, Jesus says something interesting after this interaction. He said, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. Um, Most of us here probably have heard this this story a dozen times. And, um, man, I don't know about you guys, but uh, being through my fair share of, of mistakes and shortcomings in life and embarrassing moments and shameful moments, fearful moments, insecure moments, I resonate with these stories. Every time I see an interaction of Jesus just loving somebody where they're at, In the midst of their most embarrassing time, in the midst of their most painful uh, uh, instance, the Jesus that we serve isn't a Jesus that points out or kicks them when they're down, doesn't point out more flaws, doesn't add to the shame, doesn't add to the stress, doesn't add to the, the embarrassment. The Jesus that we believe in, that I believe in, that I follow, that I serve, that I love is a Jesus that meets us at our lowest points, accepts us as we are, raises us back up and says, Go. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful for that. And the reason is, um, man, just want to share as open as I can about you guys. Uh, My name is Jake Moivau. Again, I'm currently serving as the executive director at a faith-focused nonprofit nonprofit youth outreach down in South Corvallis called Southside Youth Outreach. Um, There we create and facilitate programming for behaviorally and academically, intellectually challenged youth, specifically in the elementary age range. So that's a real politically correct way of saying that we help bad kids. And, um, and the reason I know some people are like, don't call them bad kids. Well, I'm kind of a straight shooter, so I'm going to call it like it is. And, um, and I can say that because I was a bad kid. <laughs> like it's it's uh, not a secret to any of my family or friends. Uh, by the way, I do want to say thank you to my, my personal bodyguard, Brother Wallace Jennings, who's up to the left. Uh, if anybody's thinking about pulling any funny stuff, think twice. He's, <laughs> he's watching. Um, <laughs> all right, I should just lay this out in here now. So I am so guilty of rabbit trailing during these kinds of teachings. So uh, forgive me in my comedic moments where my brain loses track. Um, but while we were sitting there watching you guys worship and just being like, wow, God's really doing some cool stuff on Oregon State. Wallace and I uh, couldn't help but chuckle and say, man, we feel like we should be checking IDs right now. There's two big brown dudes at the door. <laughs> you know. And so, um, Thankfully, thankfully, this ain't that kind of party. Uh, <laughs> but it was ironic. So, um. <laughs> oh, man, this is going to be a fun one. So, yes, uh, currently serving as the executive director down at Southside. Uh, I'm 41 years old, originally from Los Angeles, California. Not the Orange County television series side of Los Angeles, more like the Cops series television show side of Los Angeles, Uh, Carson Compton, Long Beach, my neighborhoods. Uh, And so needless to say, uh, I'm from a rougher part of the country, and you know what? Even though it had its troubles and challenges and trials and stresses and pressures for sure, I thank God for raising me there because if you can make it out of there, you can make it out of anywhere in my mind. Like that, that place made me who I am to a certain degree. So I thank God how he even uses the hard things in our lives to shape what he's going to redeem and use for his good. And the only reason I bring up where I came from is because it will probably explain a little bit of why I talk how I talk, why I dress how I dress, why I walk how I walk, and how come I stick out like a sore thumb in Corvallis, this predominantly Caucasian, very affluent, middle-upper-class community to which God's called me and had me for 12 years. Um, But I love it because Jesus, when we love Jesus, he erases all that stuff, and we fit right into the fam, right? I don't know about you guys, and you don't have to raise your hands because I don't want to point single anybody out. But I think, I think if we're all honest, we've all at some point or another in life felt out of place. Felt like, ah, I'm not really smart enough to fit in with the real smart crew. I'm not really, you know, rich enough. I definitely ain't rich enough to fill in with the rich crew. And, but I love that one of the crazy cool parts about the gospel is it's even playing ground. It brings us all into family and community together regardless of your skin color, regardless of your criminal record, if you have one, guilty, Um, regardless of anything, your education level and so on and so forth. So um, just really cool thing. But being from L.A., um, also was uh, the oldest of four. I have three siblings, uh, two younger brothers, the youngest brother, uh, which uh, played football here at Oregon State, 2006 through 2010. He was your beloved uh, undersized Samoan quarterback, Lyle Moivau. And um, so this place has become kind of home ever since I came out here to originally visit for six months in 2008. uh, My intention was to go back to Texas to continue playing football in my professional football career. Um, But some things happened to where, lo and behold, my football career was over and I didn't even know it. Um, Let me see. I guess uh, trying to fill in the things from the past that will help make sense of the testimony from that point forward. Uh, Mom and dad got divorced when I was eight years old. Dad was in the military. A lot of daddy issues came out of that. Um, For those of you guys that were at church on Sunday, you heard a little bit about it. But for a lot of my life, I felt a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that it was my fault that my father left. It doesn't help that I'm named after my father. And so every time after my father took off, Uh, My mom would refer to me uh, by my first name and say things like, you're just like your dad. And so from a young age, it got drilled into my head that the failures of my father uh, were going to be placed onto me. And I was doomed to do everything he did and doomed to fail in every way he did. And that's kind of one of the main ways that the devil played with my mind and heart all those years. So um, to make things even more Jerry Springer-esque or or drama show-esque, um, my, mo- my mother and my father's marriage broke up after my father had, uh, an affair with my mother's sister. And that is not something that I say proudly. Uh, obviously it's a, it's a weird situation, but all of those different factors played into a lot of like this hopeless, insecure, man, I come from this mess of a family. Like, what am I even doing? Who, wh- what good is there for me in the world coming from such a a train wreck, if you will, um, to put it lightly. But, um, yeah, mom, thankfully, mom through it, it all. Solid believer, woman of great prayer. To this day, I can't name anyone that prays more than my mom. And I know that I'm not standing here uh, sharing God's word with you guys uh, if it's not for the, for the prayers of a mom that stayed up on those late nights when I was out partying, when I was out gangbanging, when I was out selling drugs. When I was out fighting, when I was out shooting, um, I lost track of how many times I came home drunk and uh, just with a bunch of stuff on me that should never be on any young person. And when I walked through the door thinking everybody should be asleep at 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 5 in the morning, there's mom on her knees crying, praying for my behind while I was running the streets of LA. There is no way, except for by God's grace, that I shouldn't be locked up in jail for life or dead. And that's not just, that's not an exaggeration. That's the statistical average <laughs> for someone, a, a, a young male Polynesian raised in inner city LA, single parent home, low income family, all the stuff that makes you know for a doomsday ending, right? But thank God for a praying mom. And, you know, I didn't always see it. I gave my mom the hardest time. I told her I didn't want to go to church, told her I wasn't going to church, you know, uh, struck the fear of God into her with my actions, my conduct, my decisions, uh, bucked against everything she said about the Bible and who God was. And I think, in short, this sums up, like, my life from the divorce all the way through my, my late 20s is in my mind I thought, Man, God, if this is what you allow to happen to families like you have mine, I don't want nothing to do with you. If this is what the life that that you have for people that follow you, I'm straight. You can keep it. I'm going to go this way and I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to go get power and I'm going to go get respect and I'm going to go get money and I'm going to go get women and I'm going to go get stuff my way. And through all that, God was gracious and merciful to protect my life. Fast forward the tape. 29 years old, here, coming to Oregon. My brother was playing ball, so I figured I'd come visit him. My mom actually moved up here with him because she's his favorite, regardless of what she says. Yes, that's on the microphones. Yes, I hope it's recorded. Uh, <laughs> we're all good with it. We come to grips with it. The siblings, we get it. allows the, allows the baby of the family. But um, So I come to visit them. And while I'm here, I'm only supposed to be doing a rehabilitation stint of about six months. I was playing arena football in Dallas, Texas. So the plan was come to Corvallis. Coach Riley allowed me to use the facilities here, hang out, kick it with my brother, heal up, use their medical team, and then shoot back to Texas. While I'm here, the real estate bubble bursts, and all the corporate sponsorship for the Arena Football League vanish. I literally have no job to go back to when my time is up. And so I don't have anything, I don't have a plan from there. Um, No job, didn't finish my my degree since I wanted to pursue a football career, Uh, didn't have any money besides the little bit from my my football earnings that I hadn't, you know, wasted on partying and and acting richer than I was. Um, And I really had nowhere to turn. And so in that, funny, oddly enough, uh, my mom still praying, still going to church, still seeking God advised me to go meet up with this guy that was coaching football in the area. And all I knew at the time, and it was right over at the uh, True Axe practice center, she said, hey, come meet this guy. He's a varsity football coach in the area. He wants Lyle to help him, but Lyle doesn't have time. I told him, you're a better coach anyways. I think you should check it out. So I went, and uh, we went to Sherry's on 9th Street, one of the few places that's still here 12 years later, um, uh, Sherry's. And um, so I went, and we sat down. We had breakfast, and long story short, I agreed to be the defensive line coach for this school. I didn't know anything about the schools around here. So he gives me the address, tells me where to show up. So Monday, I go driving. At this time, I haven't dealt with any of my criminal record. I have uh, warrants, outstanding warrants in three different states. Um, there's just all kinds of stuff I would not dealt with. And my way of coping with all of the legal problems I had is just run. Anytime I went to college in Texas so I can get away from the warrants in California, and then Texas, I went to school in a little Division II called West Texas A&M up in the Panhandle. When those warrants caught up with me, I moved to Dallas. And so I was just running away, not only from God, but from the consequences of my actions. And so I'm setting all this up to say, because you guys will find this funny too, I think. I pull up to this school, and I'm driving through, and it's in this little town that I think is in the middle of nowhere called the Dare Village. And as I pull into this driveway, I look to the right, and I see a sign on the wall it says, M Christian School. And I was like, you have to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> like, nowhere in the breakfast did this coach mention, hey, do you know Jesus? Hey, do you... all he talked about was football. So I'm thinking, game on. I could do football. Once I saw the signs, I knew right there. I was like, I'm, I got to quit this job. Like, a guy like me should not be around Christian students. That just, it ain't good. Like, this ain't Right. Like, might as well let the devil loose. Like, um, But here, <laughs> hey, this is real life, so I'm going to be real. I'm just going to throw it out there. I was not walking with the Lord. and um, But it's crazy because this is the type of thing God does that only God can orchestrate. I get up there, and I meant to tell the coach, pull him aside, yo, I didn't know this was a Christian gig. I don't think you asked me enough questions like criminally related questions to uh inquire deep enough about my credibility for this position um but uh we went straight into practice and he throws me in there so we just went and over time for some reason I didn't bring it up I figured they would have gave me a background check or something nobody ever background checked me so I was like all right so we just kept rolling with it and you know what I fell in love first let me say this and all these guys they're like younger brothers to me um Man, they know what I mean. It's all respect and and honor. But I have to say, honestly, that was the worst group uh, collection of football players that I'd ever been around. Like, it just, like, and and again, I take this with a grain of salt, but L.A. is a highly competitive place, right? And and when when you go to high school in L.A. and you play sports in L.A., they have tryouts. And this is a school where, like, they're asking people to come play. And I'm sitting here going, what? Like, everybody who shows up gets to play? And over time, I found out they were not impressive athletically. But they, these young men, as goofy as these little farm boys were, (laughs) dude, they won my respect and they won my love within the first two months that I coached them. Because what I saw in these guys was something that I'd never seen coming from LA uh, with all this talent. These guys were the hardest working, most compliant, most yes, sir, no, sir, thank you, man, polite. Like they were just, they were dudes that would run through a brick wall for you. And it really made me, it challenged my paradigm and my perspective in coaching. It's like, would you, would you prefer if you had a choice more talent or more character? And they didn't know it. And years later, I would tell them. But these little 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old knuckleheads started showing me Jesus. And at the time, I'm, st- I'm fresh off my football career. So I'm 5% body fat. I'm just yoked up. And these guys are like following me around like the Pied Piper. Like, coach Jake can bench 515 pounds, yo. My coach can bench 515, yo. And little did they know, they're influencing me more than I'm influencing them. And then I met their families, and their families started doing what I know is the heart of real life and the heart of God really here, is they started inviting me into their homes. They started inviting me to dinners. They started inviting me just to be with them. Uh, some of them started taking me on vacations, and like I said, I'm from the hood. I'm not used to, like, Sun River. What is that? <laughs> like, that's like Sandro Pay to a dude like me. Like, so when they started taking me along with them, I'm not only, obviously I'm enjoying it. It's not like, oh God, I don't know if I should go. I loved it. I was loving it. And for the first time in my life, I was experiencing healthy family dynamics. I was was experiencing Christ-centered unity, love. Yes, conflict, nobody's perfect. But at the same time, it felt so good to be part of something healthy and non-toxic and where everybody loved each other, right? And so as time went on, to this day, San holds a sweet spot in my heart just because that's where I first saw what real Christ-centered love was. So one of these families there, actually there's two families there, they invited me one day. They crossed the line. They were like, hey, we don't know where Jake stands with all this, but we're going to invite him to church. And at the time, there was two type of people I did not want to be around within 500 feet of. One, pastors. Two, police. The two Ps were like, no go, no bueno. <laughs> Badge, see ya. Bible, see ya. But at this point, I got so close with these families, they had earned my trust. Before they ever asked where I was with the Lord, they built a relationship with me. And so just out of sheer respect uh, and, for the, and appreciation for these two families, I, I call them my adopted parents now. And it's funny. These two women, I love them. They're beautiful women of God. Uh, they're about yay tall, each of them. But they scare the living daylights out of me. When Mama Cheryl says something, Jake listens. Jake got a hat off. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. No lies. No, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. Yes, I will. Um, same thing with Mama Sandra. But these, these families, that when they invited me, it broke down all the reluctancy I used to have against going to church because they got to know me first. And that's the way that Jesus works, right? Like, our story tonight that we'll go back to in just a minute, like, he doesn't sit there and judge all the things about us. He just loves us where we're at. And I pray not only do we believe that tonight more than ever or we'll we, be, we will be reminded of that again tonight, but if we've lost, if you've been walking with the Lord and you're sitting there and I've been around long enough to know there's people in the room that are like, you've been a Christian most of your life as long as you can remember and you're probably sitting there like, man, here we go again, another one of those testimonies that just like some bad dude got saved and now he's good. Your role as a Christian all your life is to reach out to people like me. 12 years ago. Your role is not to sit comfortably in the pews or in the stands at Real Life or at church and just hold that light and love in. Your job is literally to pay it forward. And without these square bear Christian families from Sandy A.M. coming and loving me where I was and taking a chance on a guy that had a criminal record, later on, just a side note, these two men, the husbands of these families, would fly with me back to Texas, back to LA, and they sat with me in the Supreme Courts of those counties that I had warrants with. I don't tell too many people this because I, I know they don't want the credit for it. Those families paid for the $78,000 worth of fees that I had accumulated for my criminal doings and never asked for a penny back. If that's not Jesus' type of love, I don't know what is. Now, my question to you guys is how are you paying it forward? How are you paying the love that Jesus gave you forward? Because it's all cool and dandy to come in here and kick it on a Tuesday night, go to church on Sunday. That's fine. That's good. That's healthy. That's necessary. But that's not all. You guys are here with Pastor Chad, with the staff, with the volunteers, because you guys now have an opportunity of a lifetime with an entire university campus in front of you that you can go find all the bad kids, and share with them that there's hope, there's life, there's a future, there's a calling for them in Jesus. And I pray that you guys leave here more committed to that mission than ever tonight. If nothing else, go home praying, God, how would you have me to pay that forward? Now, without that being said, my wife is a psychology major, so I know enough about uh, the personality difference to say this. I realize fully not all of us are wired the same. Introverts, extroverts, Enneagram types 1A through 8000B, whatever it is nowadays. <laughs> but all of us have a role to play. Some of us, maybe your way of paying it forward is just praying for those people to come. Some of you, maybe you are like my brother Watts. But Watts is one of the most social, the biggest social, literally and figuratively, one of the biggest social butterflies I know. <laughs> and like, it's a gift. I thank God for him because as I get older, I get more introverted. I figured out that I I recharge on my own more than I do in social settings. But, man, Watts is great about meeting people and inviting people, and I just get tired watching him. And I'm like, thank you, God, for Brother Watts because, man, I'd be like, hey, you want to come? You know, just like (laughs) I I ain't 22 no more. And so um, I guess my encouragement is, in order to just wrap that up, is, man, whatever your role is, do something. Do something to pay it forward. Maybe it's texting somebody that you know used to come to church and ain't coming no more. Maybe it's just texting somebody that Jesus loves them. Like there's so many ways out there that we can share Jesus with the world if we'll just think about it and pray and ask God to show us. So, um, man, that was a lot longer tangent than I thought. How did how does all this get connected here? And I'm going to speed through this part. So I took the invitation to come to church from the families. I showed up at church. I sat in the very back, and I'm just trying to, like, get through it without making eye contact with nobody because I don't know who the pastors are. So I'm like, just assume all of them are pastors. And, you know, (laughs) don't look at nobody, you know. Um, But while I was there, man, God just started working. And, you know, uh, a few months later, I started asking questions about, like, how can I get plugged in? How can I start you know, getting mentored? How can I start going to coaches? So, um, well, yeah, first they pointed me to men's ministry. Pastor Rob, he's like, hey, you should go check out men's ministry. There was this thing during the summers called steak and study. And they're like, hey, you're a first timer. You could go for free. You could eat steak and kick it. And I was like, free steak? Okay, I'll be there. And uh, I went. And then um, some more stuff happened. And and all of a sudden, my, my two adopted families, again, invited me to come have dinner. And uh, here's where they get a little sneaky, and, and I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm going to share this, the truth. Um, they said, come over for dinner. We want to talk to you. I was like, sure. So I show up to dinner at one of their houses, and there's like 40 people in the joint. There's like 40 people. And I'm like, what kind of dinner? Like, what's going on? Long story short, they just started a house church, and they invited me, gave me the old screenplay, you know, look over here. Wow. You know, and... <laughs> And so there I was, ticked. I was like, man, these fools done set me up. Like, we, <laughs> like, we're supposed to be family. Like, I was thinking, like, man, snitches get stitches where I come from. Like, y'all are foul for this. And, but through that house church, here's the crazy part. There's a young woman here that I will not point out who was part of that original house church 12 years ago. And she's got a front row seat to all the cockamamie shenanigans I'm sharing with you guys tonight. She's got to watch every step of the way. And now she's here as a student at Oregon State. And honestly, tonight, as we were getting ready for everything to start, I was feeling a little bit anxious. Like, God, it's been a while since I shared with college students. I don't know if this is my deal. And and I turn around, and and I see her. And she gives me that, and she says, good luck tonight. And it just, I was like, man, in my head, so many things flashed. And I was like, how crazy of a plan is that? That 12 years later, I'm sharing that real life. And Emma, you know where you're at. And I just, I thank God that He's got a plan through everything. And that was such a, a comforting and encouraging thing to see. And so you can ask her all the dirt about all the mistakes I made, but I'm not going to share all that stuff tonight. But between the time that first house church and I don't know. Three Fridays ago is when we last met. I've been blessed to be part of the same house church all those years. They coached me on how to how to pray for a wife. They coached me on how to be a good dad. I got a smoking hot Christian wife. Um, Hey, fellas, this is for the fellas. Ladies, bear with me. If you're single and you want to be married someday, keep coming to real life. I'm not playing. I was an intern. I was an intern, 2011. It was called back then, it was called the Flying Y Ranch, or Five Rock Ranch. Now it's called the Flying Y Ranch up in uh, Yamhill, Oregon. Real life, had a retreat there. My job was to carry all the sound equipment because I wasn't really talented at anything else. Um, (laughs) But my wife-to-be, who was the women's manager at the courtyard here on OSU campus, at the time was there. And uh, here's how it went down. I didn't plan on sharing this. Why am I? I'm, yeah. Okay. So we're there at the retreat. We're hanging out. There's a campfire going. And around this campfire, there's a bunch of, you know, Christian young sisters in the faith that are hanging out. Uh, and I noticed, like, I noticed there was this particular woman there. And she had been quite the conversation amongst a bunch of guys in the church, like, hey, that so-and-so, she's she's really, she's nice, you know? And <laughs> and I thought, you know, honestly, we had passed each other so much that I thought, you know, there ain't no way she's going to go for a, a knucklehead like me. It just ain't happening. She's going to want some, like, worship leader, some, like, guaranteed millionaire engineer, or, you know, some, she's just going to want something that's not me. And so... For some reason, that night, I saw her. She had one of her girlfriends who went on to be one of our best friends and, and even served with us in high school ministry. She was giving her a shoulder rub by the fire, and here comes Jake. And I see it, and I'm like, oh, oh, hey. you know? <laughs> So I walk up, and there's like 60 people around this fire pit, and they're all close enough to hear everything. And I, in my little idiot brain, <laughs> I thought, I'm going to go make my move. So I walk up, and I come you know, right up to her side, and I'm like, did anybody call next? Could I get next? <laughs> I kid you not. All 60 people around the fire pit kind of leaned back and were like, yo, this dude's about to get knocked out. <laughs> And I'll never forget it. My wife turned. She stopped rubbing her friend's shoulder. She looked at me with the most disgusted face that a woman could make, and she bolted for her cabin room. Here's the funniest part of that interaction. We've told the story several several times since. My wife in that moment decided I was the most pig-headed, prideful Uh, she had a really bad uh, uh, idea of who jocks were and she just didn't have a taste for jocks. And so she goes, you confirmed everything bad that I ever thought about athletes. (laughs) Egotistical, cocky, just obnoxious. And so she goes on and she was, uh, so we went on later, obviously we got married. Um, (laughs) But she wanted to know at some point after that night, she said, what went through your head? And I was like, when you looked at me, and I saw those eyes, mad, just just despicable, just anger. Man, in my head, I was like, game on. <laughs> God, that's the one I'm going to go get. And so from that point on, it was just hunting season. I was like, you know, I was rolling. I found out, I found out for, 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 uh, for supplemental income, she was a tutor at Corvallis High School. So I started helping out with the football program at Corvallis High School. Why? Because there's three dudes that she's tutoring that are on that team. So I started going over there. I found out the next spring she's going to Israel. Guess who's going back to Israel? I didn't have no money, no nothing. God, you're calling me to Israel. It's the wildest, craziest yeah on that trip in Israel I believe it was 2012 uh yeah that would have been my 32nd birthday March 30th was during the trip um took her for a walk we had been seeing each other on and off for like ever since the the real life retreat to March so about I don't know six months and um but she never made anything definitively clear that we were going to go forward. And I was like, yo, I'm going to just lay it out there. I, as you can tell probably by now, I'm an all or nothing type of dude. There ain't no, like, I don't beat around the bush. It's either you're all in or you're not in. There's this quote from a movie that I've been uh, just saying to myself every day. Anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Moderation is for cowards. Um, that's not biblical. Don't take it with you. <laughs> but that's my personality. Is like, If I'm going to go at something, I'm going to go at it. you know, better to have swung and struck out than not tried in my mind. So uh, I swung for the fences with this, and on my birthday in Israel, Old Town Jerusalem, under the stars, clear night, I think it was like 58 degrees, uh, asked her for a walk. (laughs) We went out to a walk, and at the end of that walk, I asked her if she would uh, enter into a dating relationship with me with the intention of moving towards marriage. And I just laid it all out there. I didn't mess around with, like, need a DTR later, none of that junk, I just was like, look, I'm trying to date, I'm not trying to go nowhere else, if you're crazy enough to come with me, and I gave her this long, like, I've always been a talented writer and speaker, so I gave her this, like, Shakespearean, just five-star melt-the-candles type of just uh, speech, just like, "Will will you date me, It's like my whole soul and heart were emptied out in like seven minutes on the top of that hill. She looks at me and she goes, I'm in. (laughs) So here we are, eight years, four months, nine days, 11 days later, and uh, been married ever since. Got two beautiful daughters. And um, I did not mean to go this far into this, but I just, it's one of those things where like, not only did Jesus redeem my life, Jesus showed me that I'm called to, to preach his word for the rest of my days. Jesus put me in a church family. He surrounded me with mentors and brothers and sisters that I love, that love him. He gave me a wife. Like, coming from Texas, I knew in my mind I wanted to marry a country girl, but being a city boy, I didn't know how to do it. I was like, man, I like fancy resorts and hotels, and they camp on the dirt. You know, I was like, oh, how's it supposed to go? She's a beautiful country girl from Gaston, Oregon, population 622. Married to a bonehead football player, Samoan gangbanger from L.A. Population 13,864,000 documented. Like, that's (laughs) that's not even even actual, you know. (laughs) Uh, But um, it's just amazing to me that God can take what is all broken and lost, and he just makes this sweet picture. And Bethany, I don't know who's doing slides, but if you guys can pull up those pictures, I want to land the plane with this. I know we're over time. I apologize, staff. So that's my wifey, Jess, on the right. That's our oldest, uh, Taimane. It's Samoan for diamond. And then uh, somewhere in there, there's a, there's a picture of the youngest addition, second-round draft pick from Team Moivau. <laughs> 2021 Moivau <laughs> draft. That's uh, Penina, uh, Samoan for pearl. So we went with the precious stones theme for the names. Um, but, yeah, just a couple more pictures. Guys, Like, let's just be real. Does a guy like me deserve a wife like that? Thank you, Jesus. Stay in church. Keep coming to real life. <laughs> I don't feel bad joking because Chad always jokes about it too. But, man, look at what God did from a broken childhood like my own to wandering around here. You know, got saved at Calvary, went through school and ministry at Calvary, became an intern at real life at Calvary, became the high school pastor of all things, got rid of my criminal record, and now serving in the city on multiple committees that help keep Corvallis safe. Um, used to run from the police, and now I have the the chief of police on my phone. Like, it's nuts. Like, and all this is because Jesus is good, and Jesus loves us more than we'll ever know. And so this is what I would like to land the plane tonight, if we can. Unconventional. I know it, but I'm unconventional. So reminded of the story tonight, like, how many of us maybe, and this isn't for, you don't have to show hands or anything like that. It's just, I want to ask the question. How many of us in here, I'm convinced that there's at least a few. How many of us in here are feeling like, man, I don't, I don't feel like I'm as loved by Jesus um, during the season of life? Or I don't know that he loves me as much as Jake's talking about he loves me, or that he loves me enough to do what he did for this woman, who, when you think about this story, like she was caught in the act of adultery, drugged through a city, embarrassed and humiliated, and Jesus stuck up for her. And, you know, I thank God I resonate because through my testimony, I've seen all the ways that God removed the shame and the guilt. Guys, we mess up. I'm 41, been walking with the Lord for 13 years. I mess up daily. But I thank God for his grace. I thank God for his grace that's sufficient for my weaknesses. I thank God for his mercies that are new every morning. And I thank God that his love don't change even when I fail. And I just want you guys to take that with you. So tonight, if we can, I'd like to ask everybody to bow your heads. And I just want to pray for us. And worship team, if you guys don't mind coming back up. Sorry, again, I know I went long. I just looked at the clock. I just want to give an opportunity tonight. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. Man, if you're in here right now and you want that relationship with Jesus, you want to walk with Jesus and see what he has for you in this life, you want Jesus to 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 just meet you where you're at and you've never made the choice to ask Jesus to be the lord and savior of life of your life would you just do me a favor and i and i promise you nobody's looking around everybody's heads down would you just slip your hand up so i could pray for you right now thank you thank you yep you guys can put them right back down after you lift them thank you thank you praise god anybody else we're not rushing through this thank you thank you Praise God, brother. It's all good. Yep. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else? Cool. Man, you guys awesome. No better choice than what you guys are doing right now. Go ahead and put your hands down. You're good. Anybody else? Thank you. Awesome. Now I want to ask a second question. It's the second question out of three that I'll ask tonight before I pray. If there's anybody in here tonight and maybe at one time you have asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, but then since then things have happened, hurts have occurred, pain has been brought into your life, or maybe you just got tired of waiting on whatever and you haven't been walking with him lately and you want to come back. If that's you, would you raise your hand and so I could pray for you? Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Yup. Good. We're good. Yup. I thank God that God, he nothing can separate us from his love. Anybody else fit that, fit that bill? Cool. Appreciate it. Yep, you're good. Awesome. Jesus is so pleased right now. There's a party in heaven with all these hands going up. That's cool. Last question for you guys, and then I'll pray and get out of here. If you're walking with the Lord, but you know that you haven't been doing your part, or you just want God to show you what your part is, and sharing Jesus with this campus, with your family maybe, with others. If you just want the courage and the guidance and the clarity to know how to do that, I just want to pray for you too. So would you raise your hand if that's you? Awesome. Shoo! Almost the whole room. That's awesome. Sweet. Cool. Well, let me pray for you guys and then we'll have the, the worship team close us up. Father, we just thank you so much. For the finished work of the cross, we thank you so much that there's not one soul in this room that don't have a plan that is designed by you, a future that is orchestrated by you, a calling that is given and created by you. And, Lord, I just pray for everyone in here, for those that raise their hands to to accept you as Lord and Savior. God, would you come into their hearts, put them into small groups, put them into friendships, put them into house churches, put them into communities where they can learn your word, they can grow in your ways, they can just uh, thrive, Lord. I thank you for everyone who had uh, the courage to raise their hand for that, Lord. Would you come into their hearts tonight? And from this day forward, Lord, would you help them, strengthen them, and guide them to live for you? For the second group that, uh, that raised their hands, Lord, I just pray grace and mercy abundantly would flow into their hearts and minds and souls, Lord that the lies of the enemy that keep us away when we fail, your righteous standard, Lord, would just be broken by your truth and your grace and your love. Thank you so much for bringing them here tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you've got a plan. Thank you that you're not done with them. That is such a lie from the pit of hell that that you're done with us after we mess up. That's not the Jesus that we serve. So I pray for you to set them back on solid ground and help them to get back on track with you. And last but not least, God, all of us in here, myself included, we want to see Jesus glorified and made known on this campus, in our city, in our homes. Would you show us, Holy Spirit, would you fill us, guide us, mobilize us, challenge us? Everywhere we go, would you help us to share Jesus with everyone that you bring across our paths? Thank you so much for this time tonight, Lord. You are good, and we thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.